0: You know, we're all perverts, but we don't all inflict that on other people.
1: I just wrote that in my novel. I wrote a line where she says, because it was something about San Francisco's like sex nerd culture, you know. And she was like, "We get it. You're a pervert. Guess what? Everybody is. Some people just don't talk about it. It's more interesting because what's interesting about people is is what you don't know about what they want. You know."
0: Hello, all. Two quick notes. One is that I recorded this while going live on Instagram. So pardon, uh, that is just this intro. So pardon any visual references. Second is that without knowing it, I recorded this intro on the computer mic, not on this lovely road podcaster. So for the next six minutes, the sound's going to be a little rougher and then it gets wonderfully swell again for the next hour and a half or so. Hello, everyone. Hope you're well. Happy isolation. So here is my intro to my reboot of my long two conversation two episodes now put together with beth lissick about uh two and a half years ago um the first half up to about 40 minutes is uh more personal we were right in the middle of of me too at the time and i called beth up to record a conversation with her about our me too moment if that gets really awkward or uncomfortable for you, skip about half an hour in, after which we talk about fun stuff like the term punk rock damage and, among other things, the new novel she was then working on that didn't have a publisher or anything that is now out this week. And here's what I have to say about Edie on the green screen. I used to write book reviews, but I'm not going to do that, and you shouldn't write a book review of your friend's book anyway. But it's a really swell book. Uh, It's got this... Lovably sardonic heroine. It is, for me anyway, by turns funny and moving and nostalgic, set in, I believe, 1999 and then 2011 in my dear San Francisco Mission District art punk ghetto world and in San Jose. Uh, I really recommend you read it or when the audiobook comes out. Beth is a great reader and I'm sure it's going to be fantastic. I pre ordered, no, I didn't. I'm going to pre order the audiobook. I don't think it was available yet. What else do I have to tell you? Oh, next up, early next week, will be Jesse Thorne. Uh, If you don't know who Jesse Thorne is, I'll tell you who Jesse Thorne is next week. Uh, What else do I have to tell you about this episode? Yes, after about a half an hour in, it gets much lighter and funnier. And we talk about San Francisco and writing and raising kids. And this episode is a great example to all of you out there who have not realized in these past few weeks how great it is to call up old friends. I've talked to people I haven't spoken to in 30 years. or Yeah, I don't think more, but right, it, it, it's great. Every single one. I had posted on Facebook that, that, that I was really worried about being stir crazy. I'm a very social animal. And as you can tell, I'm perfectly normal. Uh, those of you who are just listening to this don't realize that I am now wearing a pair of uh, a tiger ear headband, and my reading glasses, and sunglasses, so I look a little ridiculous. Um, Perhaps that's for effect, but I yesterday found that I had put all these things on without really paying much attention to it. If you go to my Instagram feed, you can find it at 15minzjamieb. I would also like to say, before we get to the episode, which has its own intro and outro, uh, that uh, for the first time ever, this episode is sponsored by someone, and that someone is me. I am a writing and college admissions and test prep tutor for ACT, SAT, AP, writing the Common App uh, essay, and now is a great time to work on all that stuff. Kids are in limbo. Their school schedules are much easier. Uh, They've got time till the SAT. If you or your child wants to Get a leg up and start practicing for whenever they do reschedule the SAT or ACT. Wants to work on that common app. Wants to work on researching and finding schools that you might not be able to go visit. Uh, I'm your guy. Uh, Find me at jamiebergeracademiccoach.com jamiebergeracademiccoach.com or just google Burger Academic Coach. you can find me on LinkedIn, you can find me on a new company I'm working with called Spitball that is a new tutoring company that if you start working with me there the first uh, lesson is free so you can try it out and get some advice from me and then blow me off completely I'm down with that, glad to help with that all in mind I think that's all I have to say besides buy ED on the green screen oh No, I can't tell you that. Beth is about to go live on. I can tell you that, you people who are on the Instagram live, which is what I've been doing this all on and why it's just a big mess of an intro, is that I'm live on Instagram at the same time. Uh, That Beth is going live on Twitter at 2.30 Eastern today. She is B. Lissick. And for those of you listening to the podcast, that all would have happened at least a few days ago. Uh, With that said, here is a nice, long two conversations with Beth Lissick. If you like Beth, you'll have a swell time saying hi to her through listening. And me too. Good to talk to y'all. I think you got me to write my intro. My guest this week is an old friend from San Francisco, Beth Lissick. From the bio on her site, you could learn that Beth Lissick is a writer and actor. She is the author of five books and has appeared in films screened at Cannes, Sundance, and the San Francisco International Film Festival. Her books include The Memoir Collection, Yokohama Three-Way, and Other Small Shames, The New York Times best-selling comic memoir, Everybody Into the Pool, and The Gonzo Self-Help Manifesto, Helping Me Help Myself. What we have today is part one of our conversation, in which we talk about pretty much everything but fame that was on uh, our plate to talk about. And in the second half of our conversation, which will be episode 53, we talk about career and fame and the novel she's working on. But, well, the rest of this is self-explanatory. Here's part one of my conversation with Beth Lisek from December. Which began after a little bit of technical difficulty. <laughs> and is it Beth Lissick? It are is you- me. I think we are recording just fine.
1: Oh, good.
0: I like to test the patience of, of all the guests before we start, just kind of livens up, livens everything. Yeah. yeah. You know, keep
1: them on their toes. See right. what
0: they'll put up with. I knew yeah. you'd understand. I knew if anyone, <laughs> you would understand. I, I was thinking this week that it doesn't feel like that long since I've spoken to you.
1: But it has been.
0: 10 plus years, 15. Oh my
1: God. Yeah. That's a weird thing about knowing a person for a long time is that you sort of, and then with, I guess with social media stuff that so I don't see you on there that I don't know. I've been trying to lay off of it, but, um, but yeah.
0: If you don't see me, it's great. Cause I'm on way too much. <laughs> I, I'm I'm much more on Twitter than I used to be, and much less on Facebook than I used to be because of trying to promote this show mm-hmm. to more than just my pals.
1: Right, um, right,
0: yeah. Um, but hi, long hi. time. Hi, it's certainly been since before you had a child, which was 15 years ago, right?
1: Oh my god! Yeah, <laughs> yeah, my yeah. son is will be 16 in two months. Wow, I know
0: should we talk about raising a boy in this time of men? You know, ugh, I don't know. <laughs> I, I remember, I, whatever
1: you Whatever know, you want to talk about.
0: I, it's true. This is this is supposedly up to me. Um, we'll get to, to what I wrote you about uh, and that whole thing in a little bit. But yeah. I was thinking about the, the raising a... a a male child because my mother raised me in second wave feminism.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that, um, my husband, Eli was raised by a, you know, lesbian feminist. I mean, just the best, you know, it's like, I, I, I really feel like, wow, she did a great job. And he had a, um, his biological dad, they were together before she was fully, fully gay. And, um, he was like a, you know, alcoholic deadbeat dad. And he is always just so glad that he wasn't raised by that person, whoever he was, you know, he's, he, he I mean, his mom raised him by herself and with her father and um, yeah, did a pretty great job. So I, I think that, um, I think a lot of it, I mean, and, and maybe I'm just, this is lazy parenting, but I do feel like a lot of it just comes with the territory. It's like, he's a, you know, our son Gus is he's around us and he's around the, you know, us as we take in the world. And so a lot of it, um, there are things that, you know, I've talked to him about usually spurred on by, uh, something we're watching on TV, a movie or something like that. But, um, but for the most part, I do think a lot of it is like, he's, he's getting it by, by being with us and listening to us and living with us, you know? So, so that, um, I don't know. I think that, that, I mean, that, I don't like I said, that could be <laughs> lazy parenting, but it it it's, I, I do, um, I do think that, that if you've got parents who are sort of, uh, living that way and it, it kind of, it, it gets, it gets into the system of the family, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I think so. I hope so. It certainly was true for me. And my father, just want to put, say, dad, not a deadbeat. Hi, dad. Um, But he, you know, was in his 40s when this, you know, I think of today as comparable to to those days. And there are already a lot of writers, women writers, writing about the backlash that's to come. But I think things improved then and they'll improve now.
1: Oh, I know. I I just feel like, yep, it's going to, yeah, it's great. It's great that this is happening now. It's terrible and great at the same time because I think it's just going to keep... I mean, yeah, maybe there's going to be a backlash, but I just feel like these stories are just going to keep coming out for Mm -hmm. a really long time. Mm
0: -hmm. And and young men growing up will learn things that perhaps, you know, generations before them didn't about things like, you know, I think that's true. About avoiding anything vaguely like a gray area in certain situations, you know? Yeah. uh, So I, I think good will come of it. The reason I asked about your your son is that I, you know, one of the many things I do to pay the mortgages, I work with high school students. Uh, I'm a, I'm an academic coach, which is a fancy name for a tutor and other things at a uh, prep school near me. And we usually stay away from politics unless they want to go there, uh, mm-hmm. politics or social issues. Unless, you know, if they're writing a paper, we discuss it, but I don't. Right. Uh, and this this young woman I've known, she's a senior, I've known her all four years, said to me the other day, Why all of a sudden are all men <laughs> uh horrible? And so <laughs> so we talked about it for a while, but it made me think if I had a kid.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know what was interesting when we moved here to Brooklyn from uh California is that uh we just, you know, sent Gus to the public school that he was assigned to down the street Mm -hmm. and then um which was he was the only white kid in his uh class in his grade actually um so that's not you know 30 60 90 kids and then the next year was middle school but but the way they do it in new york is you know after a month of into fifth grade you have to start like like figuring out where you're going to go to middle school. And so I had just gotten here and I didn't know anything and I didn't have any community to talk to about it. And, you know, so I just was like, well, I guess we'll just do the same thing and go to wherever, you know, you go, you know, I looked around and, you know, tried to figure it out, but it was anyway. And so he, then for his um, next three years, he ended up going to a school that he could walk to from our neighborhood where he was also uh, the only white kid in his class, which then, Midway through his like uh, second year there, another white girl came in. But I mean, so it it was great because he that it was the best education. It was like being able to, especially during you know Ferguson and Baltimore and 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 while all that stuff was coming at it, I mean, and still is now. But it was like, you know, you can't be a black teacher at a black school and not talk about that stuff to your kids, you know? And, and so, and I know that you're talking about being in a tutor environment where it's like they're writing the paper and that's not an everyday classroom situation, <clears throat> yeah. but it was, it was, I mean, like the test scores at the school weren't great and, you know, it was, it was fine. It was all, just, it was fine. But but that stuff ended up being like the best education that he could have gotten about race relations to the United States because he would go with his friends into stores and they would, you know, he would be treated differently than his friends. I mean, he had that for four straight years. And I think that, that a lot of the stuff like that I was talking about, like, how do you talk to your son about It's like, with that stuff, I, I was reading all these, you know, white people being like, well, how do you talk to your kids about this? And I was like, God, I really think that I, you know, am, am. Uh, just by by accident, you know, able to to uh, I, there's nothing that I can tell him that he hasn't actually seen and experienced himself. And um, I see all this stuff now. I think with men who are, you know, think of themselves as feminists and and, and kind of getting that sense of oh shit. Like, I mm-hmm. didn't even realize that I'd been living in this privilege because I'd been aware of this and that and whatever, but 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 I think that it, once it's pointed out to you, as for me, it was just having four years. Also, when I lived in Berkeley, I lived on a block um, where we were the only white family. And so that's been like, you know, I, I never thought I was a racist person. I never thought, you know, and, and then all of a sudden I'm living in a black neighborhood. I'm sending my kids to, I'm sending my kid to a school with all black kids. And now I'm like, oh, I can't not see race everywhere because I see the injustice of it. And, and I think that, uh, for a lot of men, it's now that things are being pointed out to them, they can see it a lot better, you know, and, and now that they're living it and thinking like, oh my God, what have I done? And, and all that, that, that they're able to now see it, but you don't, it's easy, I think, intellectually to say that you don't, uh, experience something or see something, uh, until you're really actually in it. And then, and then I think that's when, you know,
0: I kind of feel, (laughs) uh, like some of the, uh, I've just been listening to Yokohama three-way this week. And that feeling of ickiness is, is coming upon me a lot when I, in the last two episodes that I'm saying my little mea culpa's and I, I feel it's kind of icky and gross, but I also feel that people aren't doing it huh. And that a lot of men are either scared or they're indulging in being really angry at Louie.
1: Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
0: Instead of saying it's like it's like saying I'm not a racist is is a silly thing to say instead of exploring how you might be. Exactly. That I feel like men are, are either afraid to explore it or they aren't. And that's what made me think of the story I told last week about making a stupid comment about somebody's picture on Facebook. Right, right. And then the the second thing I thought of was this long my memory is horrible. And my memory of what we're about to talk about is really really vague. But I remember I remember more you calling me on something than than it actually happening.
1: Okay, I remember the whole thing, so I can I can tell you. Yeah.
0: Should we start with that and then we'll talk about also the email?
1: Okay. So what I remember is and this is I mean I mean, we're going back to like
0: 1992,
1: maybe 1993. I mean, a really Three long time four, ago. or four, I
0: think. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Okay. So
0: <laughs> San Francisco.
1: Oh, San Francisco. And Mission I mean, District. Mission District. And the reason I think it was so, the thing I think, the reason it was 92 or 93 is because I, of the apartment that I knew that I was living in when this happened. So, listener. I was living in uh, the Mission District in San Francisco, as, uh, and so I'm walking around one day doing errands. I think it was a weekend day, and it was because I had like a regular job during the week, and, and it was a beautiful sunny afternoon. And I was walking, going in and out of, you know, what I, I, was, I was actually just walking to the bank, I think. And then I felt this person, I think because I'm a woman, I felt like I was being followed. Oh god. And I kind of I mean I know this is I know I I mean I'm not going to um do the female thing and apologize.
0: No, don't. No, no. I'm apologizing already.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, here we go. Okay. So, I felt like this person was following me. So, I I was like, "Huh, I wonder if this guy is really following me." And I, I kind of glanced over my shoulder and saw there was a guy around my age, you know, and and um and it didn't seem creepy or weird to me. And I think also that's because of whatever my history had been at that point in my life. Like I I had not, you know, if if I think that if I had been followed by someone before and been attacked or been, or had something really horrible happen, I would definitely have felt differently about this. But I was kind of like, I think this guy's following me. So I went into a cafe. I waited in line as if I were going to order coffee. And then I didn't. And I turned around and that person followed me back. And I went out the I went out the door, and then I said, "Oh, I think I'll go to this fruit and vegetable market and just sort of like look around at a few a few uh, fruits and vegetables for a minute." And and did that. Didn't buy anything. Walked out. The person followed me. Um, walked down the street, and finally I was like, "Oh my God, this guy's following me!" So I turned around and I said, "Are you following me?" And it was you. <laughs> so that. That's the story, and and you uh, were very embarrassed, I think, and we're like, oh no, I'm, uh, and you just went went off you didn't you know you didn't you you just went <laughs> off and I was like oh my god that guy was just." and in my mind I was just like oh that guy probably thought I was cute and wanted to meet me or something like I didn't it didn't yep. seem it didn't seem creepy to me and and I think that um it sounds very creepy but it it really didn't seem like it it was like I don't know we were young and walking around the street in the middle of the day and there were tons of people around and and that's I mean I don't know I just I was retelling the story to Eli the other day and uh saying that I was gonna to talk to you and he's like he's like, Oh my god, I've probably done that before too. Like that's how you meet so you see a cute girl on the street and you go, you know, and and so there's I don't know, that's I, I like this story because it's like one of those things where it's sort of like, I don't know, that was you and that was me and that thing happened and it sounds creepy and it could have been really creepy, but it wasn't and but it, I think the thing was that you were you were bartending at the make out room and, and I went in, I was there and I was like, Oh my God, that's the guy that and you, and you, we had mutual friends. And so so when the time that you were following me, I didn't know that. But then when I then I'd seen you around a little bit more and, and, and recognized. Oh, that's the guy Oh, the guy that followed me that day is the guy that bartends in the makeup room. Oh, the guy that's his name is Jamie. He's friends with so and so that I know. And so one time, I'm sure I just had a few drinks and was like, oh my God, you totally stalked me that day, you know, and said something like that. And you were like, no, I didn't. I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what you're talking about. And I was like, it was you. And you're like, I don't know what you're talking about. And so, um, so this is how I remember it, is that you never actually admitted that you did it.
0: Really? So here's the thing. The, I, I, I have never believed in repressed memory very much. And I tend to remember a lot of the most mortifying things in my life. <laughs> me but too, me too. when you got to, to the free, yeah, and you've written a whole book about it, and I, when you got to the fruit market part, I'm like, yes, images, I remember image, flashing, sunny day, fruit market. I don't remember the confrontation. Uh-huh. And I certainly don't really, never realize that I have never said that it was me i never like owned up to it. Yeah.
1: That's what's so funny to me is that, is that in my mind it was always like, and and I even thought, I even thought, yeah, I bet that was pretty shitty to, to like say that to him while he's like at work in a public place. Like, Hey, you stalked me. Um, you know, and whatever. For it. <laughs> it, you know, it's not, I don't know. It wasn't the best way to, to bring, but I guess probably it felt safe. Cause I was probably standing there thinking like, Oh, I can say this here because we're in this, you know, public place. And it was, it was kind of weird. And, um, and, and so then when you sent me that email, I was like, wait, here you are now admitting for the first time that you did that. And, and then the way that you phrased it was, I almost talked on my podcast about the time you called me a stalker. And and I was like, oh my God, why didn't you phrase it as I'm sorry, but I, I, you know I'm about to talk about the time that I followed you instead of putting it on me, like oh what I did to you. I'm like, oh I called you that because you followed me. So so that was that was interesting to me because in my memory, and I, I think this is correct, you never actually admitted or apologized that that you know for doing that or say you know you never said it was you.
0: Well. I believe every word of that, but in my head, I, in my head, I sure have since then. Um, And I think part of it is just the level of guilt of being the, the feminist ally child that like, I couldn't have done that. And then the level, and, and yet, and, and I think calling me out in the bar was, was in a way perfect. Because one thing I always, always liked about bartending was that, I could be mortified that I was in some way going to uh, infringe on a woman. If I tried that day, I'm sure what I was doing was walking around and walking around thinking uh, like I'm a great talker except when I think someone's cute or charming Uh or attractive. And then I'm just like, I was thinking, well, what am I going to (laughs) say? And and that's what I walked around doing that afternoon. I'm so sure of it. Um, But bartending was always wonderful in that, in that women had this safety space between me and them. Yeah. And I think I could be much more flirtatious, much more whatever, because I knew they could just walk away. Yeah. And and so I always enjoyed that. I think every man yeah, should have a bar between him and women. <laughs> just
1: just a, like a three-foot piece of oak, just a large plank. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah, that the you women have a door on, yeah. to that they could open. Yeah, if they want to get closer, you just open the little bar door. What's important to me about the emails that we exchanged last week, and Beth and I, we, we've been talking about just having you on the show for a long time, and it just keeps not happening because we want to do it live, and then I'm in New York and you're not, blah, blah, blah. But so I wrote you last week, and then you wrote back saying, yeah, but you're putting it on me like the time I called you a stalker. And here's where I think a lot of men are running into a wall. Men who aren't good at reckoning with themselves or apologizing. And I sent this email that was, I thought was taking responsibility, but it wasn't at all. And then you wrote back, and here's where it's tricky. That, that men, me, I, we have to hear that if we offer what we think is an apology... Or something you know uh, there was an etiquette expert from The Times on the radio last week and the first person I've heard saying this is that say suggesting that men if you feel like you really did something wrong back when contact that person if you want they might say I don't want to hear from you ever again or they might say oh I don't even remember that happening but make the effort and accept their response the trick is that your response can trigger a defensiveness in me it was immediately like wow look at the way i misuse language there because that's just the state i'm in these days of wanting to take responsibility but i feel like a lot of men and it could be women too but right now we're talking about the world today and men can be like yeah but i just apologized
1: right right yeah it would have yeah i would have definitely i mean but i i also just feel like you know i've known you for a long time and it's not I don't know. It, it's like, I keep wanting to downplay it because I also do feel like when I wrote back to you, I knew that you would just take it as I meant it. Like, Hey, you know, it might've been better if you had just written and said like, Hey, I'm sorry for the time that I did that. Um, and let's, do you want to talk about it? But, you know, and, and, and so, but I know what you're saying. Yeah. It's, it's like me writing back and being like, Whoa, check out the way you phrased this man. You know, like, um, I think it does. Cause it's like on your, part you were reaching out in a way and you thought you were doing a thing. And so I could see how it would be, you know, we could be a little you could have been defensive about it because in your mind you were like, all right, hey, let's talk about this. And then I was saying like, oh, look at your, you know, sentence structure basically. <laughs> so, you know, when when I do honestly believe that your intent, you know, is was to apologize and then to just set it straight and talk about it.
0: But the language is important and and hearing women's response that might not always be, oh, thank you so much for that apology, uh, you know, might, uh, is also worth noting. <laughs> sorry about that. Jamie, jumping in here for a second a uh, month later. Eh, sorry about that is not an apology. And I think some people out there noticed that nowhere in there did I really give a sincere, non-embarrassed chuckle apology. Beth, I hope you listen to this episode. I'm really sorry that I followed you that day in an inappropriate and creepy ass way. And there is no appropriate and uncreepy ass way to follow a woman around. I'm sorry. Back to the conversation. I was in a bar the other day talking to a fellow male human and, he, and I was talking about how men, again, I'm stereotyping, but men aren't as good as at empathy. And so you hear this a lot from guys. The, the, like, And there was a great piece on This American Life a couple of weeks ago. This Australian young woman got dolled up on heels and stuff and walked around, and all the men, it was a place where men would drive around and catcall or walk around, and she talked to each person who catcalled her, and ended up focusing the story focused 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 in on this one guy, and she talked to him for like hours over several days, and he was a very like broy guy who was like, "I'm just being nice," and sometimes I even slap the one with the best ass. I I, I should try to do my bad Australian accent, but I'm not gonna, and I, I, because and, and they like it, and she came back the next day with. The, statistics and she really stuck with it like someone who likes debate club which i never did (laughs) like she was going to convince him and in the end i think it was supposed to have a happy ending but i wasn't convinced he she got him to agree that it must be upsetting to some women and he certainly was like acknowledging that it upset her but he i felt like in the back of his mind he must have thought she was strange um, for not for not thinking it was cool and she got him to agree not to slap anyone but he said he would still give nice compliments on the street when he thought it was nice the point is that i don't think men are that good you know and and the three times in my life when i've been you know cat called by like gay men in new york uh, when i was much younger sadly uh i loved it because i don't experience it on a 10 times a day basis It was flattering Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it was a once in a lifetime. And my male friend sitting at the bar with me was like, yeah, what we need are a third larger gender (laughs) who can be menacing every day walking down the street to men. Like Men need to know what it's like to have this big, often predatory creature passing you and saying things all the time.
1: Yeah. Well, it's weird. It's weird too, because that kind of stuff, it's like, you know, sometimes like it doesn't really happen to me anymore, but, but, you know, people can me on the street or anything, but, but even if somebody says something to me now, I usually just go like, because it's usually, it's you, because it's usually not anything like disgusting. It's sort of like just somebody working on the street or whatever that says, says something like, Hey, how's it going? You know, just in a nice way. And I think, oh, they're just, you know, and so I usually just return, you know, and say like, hey, what's up? And and it doesn't, it, it doesn't feel menacing to me to be talked to on the street now because I feel like it doesn't, it's not in the same way, you know, it, it's like, it's not this, it doesn't feel the same as when I was younger and I felt like, oh God, this, like I'm on display. And that, I think that's the part, that always bothered me was like, I just want to walk down the street and not have anybody, you know, talk to me. And even now when, if somebody talks to me or they try to start up a conversation, you know, a lot of times you're just like, you're just not in the mood, you know? And, but, but I think that being a woman, it's like, wow, that's a lot of it is just feeling like, yeah, that you're there and can at any point. Somebody can just start talking to you, or that there's this like this this weird like open valve thing that is just like oh wow you can just say and do whatever you want, and there's there's no um, there's no repercussions and that scene is totally normal and and that's that's for me the thing that that always bummed me out about it was not so much as it, it, it was just kind of like the invasion invasion of privacy and feeling like that you couldn't just walk around in your head, being your weird self, like all of a sudden you were like out there for somebody else. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think it would be, um, yeah, I think it would be interesting for men to have that experience of feeling like, Whoa, what would, I mean, that's that's kind of like what I was talking about before, like until you get in some kind of, how are you supposed to know, how are you supposed to know what that feels like, unless you're in that situation you know, it's like there's when I did that book a bunch of years ago about self-help and, and like read a bunch of self-help books and talked to self-help gurus and stuff like that. Like one of the major things was like you can say that you know something, but if you're not actually living it, you might not even be allowed to say that you know something. You know, you, you can't even say like, oh, intellectually, I know that's true, but that's not all the way the way that I act. It's, it's almost like that thing about your character is how you act. And so, if you say you know something, if you're not actually putting that in practice, you technically can't say you know it. And 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 so I, there is, you know, it's like you can, we can think about that. Like, oh, what you know, men can know. Like, okay, most women don't like to be, you know, catcalled and talked to on the street. But it's like, how do they know? Yeah, what that what that feels like to be to be kind of constantly.
0: If we if we can't know it firsthand, at least we can create systems where we're where we learn it
1: exactly exactly and that's like my you know white son kid being you know being in in school with a bunch of black and brown kids and being like okay he's never gonna know what that's like but he can get he can get pretty close and get a pretty good idea
0: and until then we can start marketing that little portable bar product (laughs) We would have to have like a little. Just suspenders
1: with suspenders on it, sort of like a barrel.
0: Thank you for going back through all that with me. Oh, yeah, for sure. It's funny. In the past week, I wanted to catch up by listening to Yokohama Three Way, but instead, what I did was go back to experiencing our life 20 years ago in the
1: mission. Oh, yeah. I'm. Oh, my God. I'm writing about that right now in this book that I'm writing. I'm writing a lot about the 80s and 90s San Francisco.
0: Yeah. So, novel. First novel. Yeah, first novel. And you were saying it does it does harken back to those years and, and that place?
1: Yeah, I have. Part of it takes place um more 2012 ish but but a lot of it is um the first part of it is late takes place in late 80s uh early 90s San Francisco just weirdo art scene exactly <laughs> that basically between the you know 15th and 24th street and uh Valencia and South Van you know <laughs> just a just a long rectangle of
0: weirdos i'm going to love that and is it a how much would you say it's based on actual experiences and how much is it purely fictional?
1: I mean, it's definitely, it's definitely a novel with a fictional character um, protagonist and um, who is a bartender. Um, and um, it has, she's from San Jose, which is where I'm from, so it has that kind of an, um, Silicon Valley, before it was Silicon Valley thing, um, which is a lot of what I'm experiencing now is being so disconnected from the thing that my home is about, you know, what everybody in the world thinks of when they think of that area is not what I think of at all.
0: You mean that because of tech?
1: Yeah, because of the tech world. And I think also because of my age and who my friends are, that that's just not my world. Like I know nothing about it. I don't know anything about Twitter and Facebook and, and you know, people
0: who work there like you know it's it's, how about how about Friendster
1: (laughs) I was never were you ever on Friendster I wasn't on
0: Friendster I was
1: um but I so yeah I didn't know anybody who worked for those companies and and you know I have a friend right now who's like two days a week does uh copy editing at Apple but besides that like I honestly don't know any of these tech people that we're always reading about and that are always Walking around it every, everywhere when you go to, you know, our old neighborhood now. Um, so yeah, so it's about that.
0: So it's about the time before.
1: It's it's about feeling alienated from what it is now. So a uh, from to, what it's growing, yeah, yeah. So what it's turned into, and not just San Francisco, but being a person from Santa Clara Valley, being a person from from that area, and um, how it you know went from like when I was growing up, it was a bunch of you know, everybody's dad worked at Xerox or Hewlett Packard, or my dad worked at Lockheed Missiles in Space. And then some of the moms worked, some of them didn't. My mom was a, a tutor for kids with learning disabilities. And um, uh, like my friend's mom was a nurse, and my other friend's mom was a receptionist in her her husband's dentist office. You know, so it was like, the mostly it was the middle, very middle class. Dad worked, and it was, Technology. I mean, really, like you know, Xerox and and um, Hewlett Packard and that stuff. But I mean, a very kind of you know the 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 infancy of all of that. And going to like a parade and and seeing this like group of like twelve people wearing little T-shirts with an apple on it, little rainbow apple, and being like, "What's that?" You know? Oh my God! They're gonna put computers in people's homes. You know? And and it was just like such a, such a different time. Um, so it's, it's kind of about like my protagonist is a person who is just feels super alienated from what that, what the Bay area has, has become. And she's trying to kind of get her, get her mojo back. Cause she's sort of super, um, jaded and cranky about it all.
0: When's it, when's it coming up?
1: Uh, I don't know. I mean, I just, I'm just finishing some edits that, yeah, I'm just finishing some edits on it. I haven't sold it yet. Um, I, even though I have other books that are out, it's my first novel. So I have to like, finish the whole thing and actually make sure that it's good before anybody will put it out. So I'm working with my agent on.
0: Is a full draft with your agent now or are you
1: yeah, it it was and then I I got it back with notes and so now I'm finishing that part and then going to send it back after I finish with that.
0: Which should be soon, I hope. Is there a working title?
1: Yeah, but I don't want to say it. I'm yeah.
0: Okay. No, no, that's fair. You don't want to jinx it. Yeah. And and you you also mentioned that you're in a a short film that's
1: Yeah, we shot um Oh, yeah. Do you don't know John Herschend? He's great. So so this guy, John Herschend, from San Francisco, um, had an art publication. A, uh, it was called The Thing Quarterly. And the idea was that four times a year, they would get an artist to make an object, and you would subscribe to it, and you would get that object in the mail. So they would have, like, Miranda July or Dave Eggers or would make something, and then they would mass produce it, ho- however many, you know, subscribers they had. Not a ton. And then, um, but it was, and they did events and it was really cool. And, and, um, so he just emailed me out of the blue and had seen a couple short films that I'd acted in and asked if I wanted to write, uh, scripts and, and act in a film with him. And it's been super fun. We shot, um, the first part of it in Austin, Texas, uh, about a month ago. And then I'm going out to San Francisco, um, next weekend to finish it. And, um, yeah, it's been really fun. I love collaborating with uh with people. It's you know, it's yeah, it's just been it's been a total blast.
0: That's probably probably what I miss most about cities. I mean, I've taken a weird detour in in creative life in the, in that in the past for the past 10 years. Uh, being the co owner of a barn restaurant has been my creative outlet.
1: Well, and I think that can be creative. And it's like, I think that being, I don't know, being, and you're doing this, I mean.
0: Well, yeah. And I'm doing this and I'm kind of phasing back into being more actively making things and less that. And it's hard. And it's also hard because. The people who I would collaborate most with are still people back there or in New
1: York. That's well for me. It's 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 that they're people that um, are either in San Francisco or Los Angeles. And you know, moving here, it was a weird time to move here. I mean, I moved here when I was in my mid 40s. You know, after having my set up my whole life. I mean, my whole life I lived in the Bay Area. I went to school at UC Santa Cruz. I lived in San Francisco, Berkeley, Oakland my entire life. So it was, to come out here was super weird, and um, and I still don't. I mean, I still don't have any like really good friends who live here. My brother lives here. My brother and sister in law live here, but all my good friends are you know in Los Angeles or San Francisco. And um, how many
0: years? Now?
1: I've been here for five years.
0: Yeah, I think it's harder once we're older and more you're you're married, you have a child.
1: It is because. Because when you're younger, that's when you're, like, going out and you get drunk and you go, ah, remember that crazy night we had Or people <laughs> have roommates or, you know, it's all. And then once you get, I mean, I've had, I've thought about don't writing know about. I what you talking <laughs> about. About. <laughs> I've thought about writing about some of the um, hilarious, like, friend dates that I've had in New York because it's just, like, me sitting across the table from some, like, mom on my son's, you know, baseball team being all, oh, so what school did your son go to elementary? What subway like you know, it's like the the it's like it's really hard to to just kind of connect with people and start at you know you have to get to know people and I've I've met a couple of people that I really like but they're you know they live there forever and they have their friends and their lives and I, I remember when I lived in San Francisco, um, people would try to go out with me to you know go out for drinks or and I was just like God I don't even get to see my good friends as much as I want to. Like, I don't really, I didn't really have room for new friends, you know, and I know what that feels like. So I feel self-conscious about being that person in other people's lives here, you know, it's like, oh, I don't, you know, I understand like people have their shit going on and they don't, it's like you don't really, so yeah, it's, it's been a weird, it's been a, I mean, it's been great. I wouldn't change it for anything. I'm so glad that I live here. But um, but but as far as like having good friendships, um, there you know it's all everybody lives somewhere else. It,
0: it's really bizarre and exciting lately that people from the Bay Area are moving to this very little area of ours in Western Mass. Um, do you know uh, Sarah Fran was? Yeah, big-
1: I know. I love it. I love it. I got to come visit. I know Sarah Fran lives there, and Sarah Seinberg. Sarah is Fran bigger. just moved in. I know.
0: Right, and Ginger, I saw them last night, and they said to say hello. Oh, good. And you know, I hope you know, uh, Sarah Fenn and I kind of uh, we we've been. Yeah, you know, she's only been how long has it been? Six months or so. Yeah. But, you know, th- there's an idea of some kind of collaboration that I'd really love to do uh, some kind of a performance, or you know, can we can we uh, get a, a porch Light franchise?
1: <laughs> yeah. Start
0: up. <laughs> Is porch Light still going on?
1: Yeah, we do it um less often now when i first moved with were they were we were still doing monthly shows and i would go out every other month or every third month but, let me huh? s-
0: sneak in and say Porchlight is a storytelling series that you and arlene clatt
1: started in 2002 so it's been going on for a very long time um and now we do. We always do a show with uh, Litquake, the literary festival, and we always do a show with the sketch fest. So that'll be our next one in January. And then we usually we do something with the film festival or the Jewish Museum. Like those those shows are easier to put together um, because the I think when we were doing monthly shows, you know, we would find people. You told a story at so like We would get people, you know, and get a theme and do it like you know a regular. Now they're storytelling series everywhere but at the time when we started it it was kind of like we had to keep explaining to people what it was like okay you can't do a monologue you can't read from a piece of paper you have to you know and and that was super fun and then what happened I think is now that there's more storytelling series it's kind of like the fun of it is a little bit been a little bit sucked out because people have their like signature stories that they, or they've listened to the Moth and they know what it's supposed to sound like. And so it's not as wild as it used to feel like, you know, like, Oh my God, this, what is this person going to say? Like what is happening? Like the format felt new back then. And, and um, the shows are still really fun, but we're trying to figure out an approach now to uh, get people who don't normally tell stories on stage, which was always one of our things that we our goals when we started out was like let's let's dig and find people who, you know, are not people who talk into a microphone on the stage regularly. And so, um worked', yeah, so I think that for next year we've got a little plan in place that we're going to do four shows that are sort of neighborhood oriented in San Francisco um, and finding you know stories from those neighborhoods and then, working with people and doing shows uh, that take place in the neighborhood that we're doing the stories about.
0: That, that is kind of my, my, I hope to do a quarterly, I'll talk to you more about it uh, off the air, a quarterly event like that here. Um, somehow revolving around s- some aspect of fame. So I wanted to make it 15 minutes related um, and find, and maybe coach four people each doing 15 minute stories with a house band and maybe, and maybe a little uh, chat a little panel amongst the group at some point. And I also thought of dialing into one, one person to tell a story. So the idea of, you know, the, the the bigger world. And, you know, some I could put you up on the screen behind us sometime, Beth, and have you, you, you maybe at the first one talk about Porchlight, because it's a big inspiration for me. And it was a really, you know, I, I've done a fair amount of performing, but that that one night was really important to me. Yeah, Porchlight was great.
1: You were at the Café du Nord, right? Yeah, yeah that was fun. Yep, yeah, it's um I think it's great because it really does get people. I didn't mean to like badmouth how, you know, like but I but I think that it's great because it really does get people thinking about their stories and it gets people talking at the, you know, always at the intermission and and it's I mean it's a great community thing to do. My mother-in-law started one in Tucson that's been going for like 12 years now. Like she, she started her own and, and my friend in Portland started her own after coming to Porchlight, And, and I think it's just, I mean, it's a, I think you should do it. It's such a, it's, it's a cool. really cool thing. And it's a great way to meet other to, people and get people on stage who, who, you know, have great stories, but aren't necessarily people who seek out the spotlight.
0: That's great. Are those other ones called Porchlight? No. Or are they just um, their own no, little My series? mother-in-law's
1: okay. is called The Odyssey. Um and oh, then my friend, oh, um good. yeah, my friend, friend in Portland, hers is called Backsen.
0: Well, I'm I'm really glad it's still going on. It's a great thing. And I think also the since the moth and people come with their stories that they're ready to do, there's also, you know, it, it kind of ties into what I'm doing here is that people start to see it instead of this place where I can release this thing i've been wanting to tell tell someone that it becomes i could become a storyteller
1: yeah i mean i i've had people in their bios you know send me their bios for the website and it's like so-and-so is a professional storyteller and i'm like who's a professional storyteller like i don't i mean i guess but it just i just kind of feel like oh i mean even remember we even had this thing because i put on the website that you were a bartender and you're like I'm a writer and performer and I was like okay but (laughs) you're also a bartender and like that's fun to like have stories about that and like I wanted I don't know to make sure that it's like that it wasn't a series just for writers and performers you know like getting the point across that it's like oh I want to know what I love knowing what people do to make money and and you know and you can do that stuff too it's like You can be a storyteller or a comedian or whatever, but it's like we all have our things that we earn our money, and and that's, you know, I'm always interested in those.
0: Your memory is all too good, my friend, because one of the reasons I started making this is is that I've had chips like that on my shoulder. I think I probably said that to you because there were more people who were my friends in San Francisco at that point only knew me as a bartender. Right, right. So I wanted them to see me as a, as a legitimate writer-performer. Yeah. No, I get it. It's very... Yeah. But now I'd be thrilled to have Bartender on a bio.
1: Right? Because it's like, that's where the stories are, you know? It's like, yeah, you can be a writer and performer, but it's like, what's your, what's your life story and where, your, where do your stories come from?
0: You uh, didn't mention it in the email, but I, I at least then you were working with your longtime best pal and writing buddy, Tara Jepsen. Yay.
1: Tara Jepsen. She's coming to New York today.
0: Ah, uh, is she going to, (laughs) I do believe the last time one of you flew on an airplane, there was a little Twitter exchange
1: afterwards
0: (laughs) about pooping.
1: Oh, I can't remember. There were, yeah, there was something, I can't remember what it was, but she, uh, she, she is a lot more of a social media person than I am. So she'll just like, we'll have a conversation that we will be texting privately. And then she'll just, like, put it on Twitter and tag me that I just said something. And I'm just like, and I, I mean, I find it very endearing because it's just so...
0: Live tweet your poop story. Well, I remember your back and forth was really hilarious. You know, like, true friendship is not minding that your friend just tweeted about you pooping or something. Um, but so are you two working on something? Yeah, we are. We have a
1: Well, it started out as a screenplay. And then it after getting some feedback from it, we turned it into a series pitch. Um, so she lives in Los Angeles. When I moved here, she moved to LA. This is my friend Tara Jepsen, who is the most hilarious person I know. And she, um, uh, we've been, we did all sorts of weird performance art and writing and films and stuff together. Uh, we've been working together for 20 years, which is insane. I love it. And, And she's, um, so she's coming to New York today. We're working on a new script, but she's in L.A. and can totally do the thing where she, like, takes the meetings with the people where I really don't like doing that, and so it's kind of perfect. So we write together, and that's it's so great because it's how our friendship came about was um, this group called Sister Spit in San Francisco started by Michelle T. Mm-hmm. and Cindy Anderson, and it was a, you know, feminist performance, spoken word uh, series that happened. Then we went on a bunch of tours. And, and so that's how I met Tara. And from the very beginning, we just started writing together. And so we don't, like, we've never been friends where it's like, you we, I mean, we will go out to dinner or go to a movie, but we don't, like, what we do is sit together and write stuff and just laugh our asses off. So, um, uh, yeah, so she's coming, and we're going to work on a new thing. We have one series pitch that's out there right now.
0: That's great. Uh, that is a lifelong, uh, fantasy of mine to have a partner like that and I still hope I'll find him or her
1: feels so great yeah you yeah you know what I think that you will because if you are if you're putting that energy out there looking for it like I've had people that I've collaborated with on one thing and it went fine and it you know it was just for that thing and it was great I don't have any like disaster stories you know it's like maybe you just do one thing with somebody or maybe you find uh, a person you know like Tara and I found each other where it's like wow we can like we have that thing where if we write something we look back on it and we can't remember who wrote what and and that feels amazing you know to to just be like wow we're just like yeah it feels very um like i don't know feel i feel really really lucky to have found that
0: uh, i'm living in a, in a world kind of separated from the feelings of of worrying about proprietary nature of work but is there anything that you guys are particularly working on that you can Tell me anything that what you wanted to, what you want to pitch or in a general theme idea of it.
1: Well, I mean, most of our stuff involves women. We like to write about women. (laughs) (laughs) We, um, yeah, I mean, you know, strong female protagonists and you know, we're, we both are pretty, can be pretty gross. Um, and you know, I, I mean, we both love talking about uncomfortable things or things that people don't talk about that much. Um, and, um we are, and then this new thing that we're working on came out of a independent film that we were working on together that was so bananas and so so ridiculous that we're kind of fictionalizing some of that and writing about sort of a meta a meta story about uh, two friends working on a film. Not we're not writing it for ourselves to act in, but but just as a as a script to sell.
0: When talking about yourself and writing, when you were making uh, or publicizing Yokohama, Yokohama Three Way, I always want to say freeway because Yokohama <laughs> makes, makes car parts or mom, something. I have told
1: my mom that's what it was called, Yokohama Freeway. I was just, and there was a lot of traffic.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. In and out. <laughs> um, uh, but you talked a lot about <clears throat> some ideas of success. Uh, and about those humiliating, shameful, embarrassing moments as being a big part of life or or of success and failure, and you you talk about being you wrote here i 'm going to quote you I was homecoming princess, I was on the school newspaper, I was the class vice president. I had all the markers to just be like a regular, successful person in some other realm, and then you wrote. <clears throat> You said the only way I see myself as a successful writer is that I'm still writing.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think I, I agree with that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I do, I do think sometimes I, it's weird because there's, there are all these ideas, right. That if you're, you know, an artist or writer, or there's some kind of inner, you know, turmoil or something that's keeping you doing this thing, where you're trying to get at something, you're trying to figure something out or you're trying to show something or, or tell something that you haven't seen before. And, and, you know, that that there's obviously, you know, something under my skin that I'm like, keep doing these things. But so I do think about when, as a, as a teenager and as a kid, like I said, like when you followed me around that day, like it wasn't that weird to me because I hadn't had an experience in my life where I had been traumatized in that way. And, and, and I think about, um, my, I had a really great family and childhood and, and, um, and I was like a really kind of, you know, kid that was, I mean, I was always, I I think in high school, I definitely, I, you know, shaved my hair off and I wore thrift store clothes and, but I was still the, you know, the homecoming queen in the track star and like all this stuff that, that it just, it's sort of a, I guess I, I always think, okay, it's kind of a, it's a strange thing that then I grew up to be somebody who like lived in shitty warehouses and was more into like a, just kind of a DIY punk aesthetic than I just went to my 30th high school reunion. And there's a lot of really, you know, successful people who have a lot of money Um, living in the same area and, you know, driving nice cars and like this whole thing that just wasn't, it never felt right to me, but I don't, I don't, I don't see myself as a failure. You know, it's just, I, I I think that is true. It's like, I see myself as a successful writer because I'm still writing. And that's, I think it's, it's, you know, that's a hard thing to keep doing sometimes. Um, I think especially for me, like with the internet, with the the internet, uh, the invention of the internet, um, I started writing in the very you know, first days of the SF gate, the Chronicles website, where we were paid well. And I was, you know, writing about the art scene in San Francisco and, and it felt like, you know, it was like San Francisco's first nightlife blog, basically is what I wrote for eight years. Um, And as soon as it kind of changed and people started, everybody was writing blogs and there was what up friends are in my, my space and all this stuff. It just seemed less interesting to me to, to be doing it. Like I felt like, Oh, I don't need to be doing this because everybody's talking about what band they went to go see the other night or what, you know, and, and it just, I, I so sort of feel like in a way, um, that kind of, I still have, I still don't really write for the internet. I just don't, you know, it's like, I, I like working on longer book projects, but the immediate thing of, I don't know, writing, uh, I don't know what it is, but I definitely have like, uh, that's, a, a, so I guess I'm thinking of one way that I don't feel successful is that I don't, um, you know, I don't really have my brand out there, Jamie, trying to like be a thing. Cause it's not, I thought what I want to do, you know, it's like, so, you know, so I think of it sometimes as like, oh, that's probably bad that I don't do that.
0: So, well, before, before I I want to respond directly to that, but I just also want to give, you know, 13 years late props. Beth was one of the only people who wrote about one of what I think of my great successes, an art show about my dog. Oh, yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. in SF gate. And, and it's funny how, yeah, people aren't, not only aren't getting paid, but everybody got fired from LA weekly yesterday.
1: I know. I saw that. I mean, it's yeah. So at the time, like, yeah, writing about your art show at Adobe or writing about, you know, bands that were playing at the make room, like that was so fun to me because it was like up till then everything was in the newspaper and that, that stuff wasn't in the newspaper, you know? And, so, um, so that, I mean, it was really fun. And in those, I don't know, in the early days of it, it did feel kind of like Wild West. I'm like, oh my God, like, I guess you can just write about anything on, you know?
0: It kind of seemed like with the, uh, the self-help, uh, the, the book, what was it called?
1: Helping Me Help Myself.
0: Yeah, that there was there was a, a kind of a brand in development there um, but it, it it doesn't feel exactly inherently you to me I mean yeah
1: like that book was definitely like it was a different I had pitched a different idea and that idea got pitched back to me and I was like cool oh, try that you know and um, and I felt like I think after everybody into the pool that the the editors and agents wanted me to, you know, keep doing that same thing and have, you know, like funny essays about my life. And I, and I just, I didn't, I didn't really want to. And after I did helping me help myself, I just felt like, oh, I didn't actually like exposing myself that much. You know, like I, I was, I struggled with that book a lot because I just felt like, oh, I don't, I don't want to write about my kid. That was a big thing too, about having a kid is I was just like, I don't want to write about my kid. Like that's his life. Like, I don't, I'm not going to, you know, write a blog. I don't even, I don't post photos of him. Like, you know, every once in a while now that he's, he's old enough to tell me that it's okay, but I, there's no baby pictures of my kid on the internet, you know, cause I was just like, that's not, I don't know. It just didn't feel right to me. And so that's something that I've kind of felt like I had to just, well, trust it and be like, that's, you know, I, I, I'm just going to not do that even though i could probably you know make a couple hundred dollars with the mommy blog post or whatever
0: in terms of let's i'm gonna put put it as a when when the novel is finished and you have a publisher mm-hmm. and a pub date and it gets published oh
1: i like that that's the way the positive thinking thing when it's done and when it gets published
0: it's what i learned from you native northern californians when yeah I man um, get into it yeah i think you were saying earlier put the energy out there yeah um what it seems to me when you you describe yourself as not feeling like a failure, but I also feel like you seem very pretty comfortable that you you do your work you you have your life you're not you don't you know is would success be measured more by what would success of a novel be measured by for you uh. You know, uh, making more of a living, getting uh, claim from certain places or people, right? I think uh, having a certain number of readers, copies sold. What, what, what? In terms yeah, of yeah, you know? that's
1: a good question. That's a really good question because I think that I definitely have worked harder on this book than I've worked on anything ever in my life, and and I do feel like um, in the beginning days of doing things, I just would do something, you know, make it as good as I could put it out there and move on, which I think is a really good way to do stuff because it's like, then you never, you know, if you can cripple yourself by, you know, paralyze yourself by, by trying to make everything exactly perfect. And so I, I think that when I was starting out and writing things, I would, or performing things, I would just, I would write them and make them as best as I could and then put them out there and move on. And, um, and I didn't take so much care to like, make sure that I was um, uh, thinking about like my career or what, you know, I know people who are successful, who are very career oriented, and they think about what steps they need to take, like where they should get published or who they should meet and, and, and not in a bad way at all, in like a really good strategic way, like this will ensure or help me, um, continue my career, uh, it, it, doing what I want to keep doing, you know, if I, if I do these steps. And I think that I never really did that. And I always felt a little bit embarrassed, um, uh, by, by doing those things, like by, um, you know, like, like I have a little bit of punk rock damage, I think is what I, I've been calling it is like, yeah,
0: me too. So much,
1: you know, like I have this punk rock damage where I'm like, I don't, it's not that it's not cool to try because of course I try with all my stuff. I try to make it the best I can. I want to be doing the work, but, but I don't want to be doing the parts that don't feel comfortable to me. And, and a lot of that is like, you know, Oh, meeting somebody and then following up with them and seeing, you know, how I could possibly get my thing into, because I think ultimately I just, I, I don't have that desire to, make sure a lot of people hear what I have to say or read my work. You know, I don't really, I don't really think it's that important. It's important to me. And I think there's a certain audience out. Yeah. It's important to me to make it. And I think that there's certain out people out there who will enjoy it, but I don't have that desire like, hey, guys, this is really important and my voice needs to be heard. And and I think that other people do have that. You know, it's like I know people who have that, whose stories really need to be told and they haven't been stories we've been hearing. And, and, and I get that. But for me, I'm like, oh, here's a funny story about the time that, you know, the, the, the pipes blew in the warehouse and we, there was a shit storm and we all had pieces of toilet paper falling on us. Like, you know, I'm just like, well, that's disgusting and hilarious, but like, I'm not really like, Hey everybody, you've got it. You've got to, you know, hear my voice. Um, So, yeah. So, so that's, so, so but, but I think it this novel. I really am thinking of it. It's like, I'm working really fucking hard on it. And I really, I think, I don't know, maybe success is that, is that I I don't know i get to i get to write another one and and get some money for it but it, but i don't i don't know i know that there's not a lot of money in, in in publishing books i mean i know that already so i think that is just that i'll write it and that it will be good and i'll feel proud of it um and people will want to read it you know there'll be people out there that want to read it i think that's it i mean i have a very modest yeah very modest that's goals. great modest i
0: mean that and th- that yeah that punk rock damn it that is a, that term is just so perfect for Isn't it? so much i've thought about in the past year and a half making this because i have so much of that it's, it's nothing wrong with trying and working hard and even making something great it's succeeding that's the that, 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 that's disgusting
1: yeah like it feels, to
0: to to yeah. my youth
1: yeah i feel there was one time when everybody into the pool came out and i had to supply people magazine with a photo of myself and And it couldn't be my press photo from the um, book jacket. So it had to be a new photo that I had to take at like the last minute to send to them. And this was 2005 or something. So it had to be in a, um, be taken with like a professional camera, you know, so I had to call my, and I was in tears by the time it was over because I felt so uncomfortable posing for a photograph you know? And it's like, you know, I mean, I could do that now. I could do it for sure right now and it'd be fine. But I remember at that time, it just felt so antithetical to who I was to be like trying to look good for people magazine. Like it just felt like wrong, you know? And, and I think that that, I mean, I don't know. I think that, that I've I've obviously come a long way that I feel like I could do it now and it wouldn't be traumatizing, but, um, but it's real, you know, I think it's like, the, our age group and when we grew up and the whole Reagan years and age years and like all that stuff, I feel it really deeply. I feel that kind of DIY, fuck you, you're, the, you know, and I just, I can't help it, you know, and, and I have to fight against it a lot um, because I think that it holds me back.
0: Yeah, and I think part of that ethos involves us looking down on people who not down on, but it's only now that I'm coming to appreciate that. Oh, because we all feel this way. That's why people have other jobs as publicists, you know. And you know, if if a young punk, if if Fiona Apple made a great first record, and some fancy people, you let the fancy people make you a star, and then you get to keep making the stuff for the rest of your life. Uh, is a, is a, is a thing that I.
1: Oh, that's not how it works now, though. You know, now it's like you have to, you have to do it yourself. I mean, you're nobody's going to come along and just be like, you're, you know, it's like nobody's going to do that work for you anymore. And I think that you, and, and I think that, um, I don't know. I mean, I think that in, in rare cases, people, you know, used to, but, but, but I don't, yeah, as, as long as I've been publishing books,
0: you have to do it yourself. Yeah, yeah, and you have to. And nobody's paying you to go on tour anymore, and things like that. But I, I just mean, mm, I don't know. Even on a personal level, my wife is a brilliant photographer, and she's as repulsed by self-promotion as anybody. But I'm much more comfortable promoting her, and she's more comfortable promoting me. You know, so even on a on a, on a you know, on a, on a good level. But I do feel like. Those people still do help you, though.
1: Yes. Yeah. No, they help you because they yeah. they help you even if they're just telling you, you know, what you need to do, or saying like, okay, get yeah. me this stuff, and I'll send this stuff. I mean, you know, it is like having yeah. a partner who's who's helping you get through something that doesn't uh, is it does do something that is, is not attractive yeah. to you. You know that that's for sure. Um, yeah. And. Yeah, I definitely wrestle with it because I do feel like sometimes like, oh, like you were saying, you listen to the audiobook of the Oklahoma Streetway. hmm I've never heard it. I don't know who the fuck is doing the voice, but it makes me crazy because probably all I would have had to do was say, I wanna do the audiobook. I mean, I'm a voice like I make money doing voiceover. And and like and I love to read from my work. That's why I started re- writing, you know, was to be able to read at open mics and stuff like that. But my ego got in the way because I didn't just say, oh, I want to do this. I just assumed they'd ask me. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, my God, nobody ever asked me. I didn't say anything and nobody ever asked me. And now somebody else has done my audiobook.
0: This is such a great lesson because all week long I've been wrestling with how can i talk to her about this how could she not have read this i know it's if someone doesn't know you don't if you haven't listened to it don't she does a fine job but there's none of your charm or likableness it comes off very oh i don't it's again i enjoyed listening to it but i also was like it's cold. There's a lot of humor in that book, even though that book is about super yes. cringy stuff.
1: There's a lot of humor in that book, and I'm sure that it doesn't come through as much. But, but, but that's my fault. And the warmth. But it's – yeah, 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 yeah. And, I, that's to- and it's totally Ugh.
0: my fault because okay, I – Okay, so with the novel. Yeah. <laughs> with the novel. Is it first person? Yes, it's in first person. If you're not reading that, I'm going to come and just...
1: I know. No, no, no. I will. I will. I, and Actually, I talked to somebody recently who was like, you can redo, you can have your audiobook redone um, because it's just like, oh, when you said you listened to it in the beginning part of our conversation, I was like, oh, God, oh, God, Yeah. because I've never, I've never oh, listened Beth, to it and that's... I never will.
0: I think if you could even just break even or even spend a little to re-record it yourself, I think you'd be so proud and happy.
1: Well, that Oh, I would. I mean, you know, Eli's a recording engineer and I live above a recording studio, so I could do it now. Yeah, I could do it in like a half hour. But, I, but I, you need to like get the rights back from the um, – it's a little bit of a contract thing. But I'm sure they would just be like, who cares what – you know, if you'll do the if – if I paid for it myself, they'd probably be
0: fine with it. And it's also a kind of thing where if the novel were even mildly successful, it would be a good way to bring it back. Yeah. As an audiobook. to bring the, the because I think you'd be wonderful doing it, and I'm so glad you brought it up. Another story almost exactly like that, uh, my friend Mira Bartok, who as a strange, she she writes for adults, she writes for teens, but she she wrote a memoir that was very well uh, received a few a few years ago.
1: Oh yeah, I listened to her your interview with her, it was great.
0: And and now, you know, you say these magic things don't happen, but she's having a Cinderella story. Oh, no
1: think that magical things don't happen I, I i do think that magical things happen but i think that a lot of times you, nobody's really going to discover you and you have to do the work i think for the most part but her story really is incredible
0: yeah and in terms of not even just not asking for things or being you know it sounds like maybe you were a little weird did you have a little a, a, a chip on your shoulder that you weren't asked to write it i mean to just to talk to, to, to no tell i it?
1: i signed the i signed the contract with audible and then just figured the next step would be recording it. And then I just never heard anything. And then when I, and then I actually got an email from the woman who was reading everybody into the pool. And she's like, Oh my God, I'm reading your book right now. You know, recording it. It's so great. And I was like, what? Whoa. And that's when I was just like, Oh my God, nobody even asked me. Like it just, yeah. So then I got a chip on my shoulder.
0: And I don't, I think they generally, don't or they if they don't know that you're a person who's because I suppose in terms of efficiency yeah people who just read books for a living just bust it out
1: yeah they just go down yeah but I mean you know I have a lot of friends who read their own books and I know that I should have read my own book for sure
0: yeah but in terms of when success comes to you like accepting it and and you know Mira talked about like not knowing how to accept perks or not realizing that like when the opportunity, when, when somebody said, oh, we could get Kate Winslet to read your book, just say immediately, like, yes, right. let's do that. <laughs> <laughs> and her reader is terrific of the new novel. But Kate Winslet <laughs> uh, would have been interesting, too.
1: Right. I mean, yeah, but being able, right, being able that when those things happen, just on the on the topic of punk rock damage, like when those things happen, to be able to say, like, wow, that's because that's who she wanted, you know? I mean, it's not like they were, you know, uh, putting up this person that she didn't, I mean, that's who she wanted. And, and then she heard that name and she just thought that couldn't possibly be true. But, but I think that, um, yeah, a lot of it is like, actually there is something to understanding and knowing what you, what you want the success to be. Like you said, like, what would that mean to you? And I think that those, those things are really important to think about. And I think that I've spent my whole life not really thinking about them because I'm a pretty content person. I mean, now the world feels absolutely insane and I am on an emotional roller coaster daily, like most of us. But, but, um, You know, like, it's just, I've been more depressed in the past year than I've ever been in my entire life, including my teenage years or my 20s or any of it, you know, postpartum, any of it. I'm just like, what the...
0: Yeah, it's it's horrible. And are you doing any performing since then?
1: Uh, A little bit. Yeah. I'm I'm doing, I'm trying to think what I, have yeah, I'm doing readings and I do storytelling things sometimes. Yeah.
0: I just wonder what that's like
1: yeah right because uh, you yeah, have to, to i mean to how do you not talk about it
0: yeah yeah because i mean so many i guess i'm thinking more about i don't know if you uh, if you were on social media right around the election uh anya my wife did did a photo project this grab him by the ballot
1: oh right right
0: and it, it it you know it was this thing and it went viral and it blew up and then we lost yeah, <laughs> and this beautiful project—it's like, what do you do with the art you've made, or make anything new? Ugh. Right in this last year, we'll all bounce back. Fuck them.
1: Yeah,
0: you know, and people are making great things, but it's been a
1: oh my god, you know, I, I,
0: I do. Yeah. I, I talk, yeah. You know, I talk about it too much. But fame is what a huge part of what brought that guy there. It's like the only thing that he absolutely had succeeded at. He's getting famous. And so it's a powerful, gross thing. There's reason to be punk rock. <laughs>
1: I was thinking about it today when, when, you know, like right after he was elected and people were saying like, Oh, well, at least some good art is going to come out of this or something like that, or good comedy. Oh, and it's fuck. Just like, oh, fuck that. But the one thing that the, my experience that I had today, one of the reasons I was in such a great mood is I went to, out of my house and my laundromat on my block has been um, closed because they're getting a new boiler and they can't get the city to like come in and give them the permit. And it's like this family who's lost their livelihood, right? Is this laundromat where I do my laundry? And um, so I was talking to them, and the mom, the mom doesn't speak that great of English, and um, the son and uh, his wife do. And so I was talking to them and and the mom was talking to me and and we and i was trying to understand her and 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 she really wanted to talk to me about where i was doing my laundry now and how dryers were and if how much it cost and all stuff and um and so i had this just really great exchange with just this family who lives down my block that i see when i do my laundry you know and but i felt like that moment of us trying to like we were really like talking in a way and then i had this happen uh right afterwards when I went to go get my oil changed on my car and met this um, couple from Yemen. And then they invited me over for dinner. And, and I felt like, okay, you know what? I don't think this would be happening right now. Like uh, both of all our desire to communicate so much with people that we don't know that well, like, I, I definitely feel like there has been uh, a more of that I've made more of an effort to talk to people and be just kind and warm with people that I don't know um, since this has happened in the past year. And, you know, I hate to say there's any upshot at all because it's really dire right now. But but one of the things about today was that I felt like, wow, I, I just had these really great exchanges and conversations with people that that I normally don't talk to. And they were really wanting to Understand me, and I was, and the, Yemen, the Yemeni couple didn't speak that much English either, and and I and I don't know, like it just felt like something. I was just like, I'll take it, like this, you know. It's it just like everything feels so upside down and and dire right now that like these little things.
0: Yeah, I get weepy at the 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 the, the littlest good thing lately. Uh, there was something just the other day, but just little things like oh. Like I said, I spend too much time on Twitter there, but there's a, a really good tweeter, and I don't name. I assume a good writer too. Although I don't read her work that's longer than 240 <laughs> characters or whatever. Uh, Maura Quint.
1: Okay, yeah. And she
0: posted last night. She made a tweet like, and it was it was more about how for the men who feel like women are just full of rage and setting anybody up. Let's tell stories of men who didn't do something wrong. Mm-hmm. And there was just hundreds yeah. and hundreds of responses. Yeah. And, of course, one douchebag saying, yeah, well, Louis we didn't do anything different from that. Ah! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, yeah. But the people who say good comedy is going to come out of it is a is a place of such extreme privilege. Yeah. Yee! Exactly. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, little warm moments like uh, Anya's gone back to bartending because she quit a full-time job last year. Uh-huh. And a couple of days a week, she bartends and she freelances and she's getting a lot of photography work. But <clears throat> I swear to you, in the past month, I've seen certain men in their 50s into 60s, even 40s, who are they're clearly trying to figure something out uh-huh. in how they communicate. And they're not just like, oh, fuck, I don't want to fuck it up. They're they're like trying to. I don't know. They're trying to do something good and right. I do believe that.
1: Yeah, I believe it. I believe it. Yeah, I read uh, something that Amber Tamblyn wrote in the New York Times today that was sort of like, you know, we're not all these men want to go on and now start talking about redemption. And we're not ready for that yet. And I do believe there's something I do believe there's something in that where it's like, okay, wait, 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 hold on. (laughs) It's just like. Let this happen. Let this come out. Just step aside for a minute while we get all this. but I, but I don't think that that's just men. I just think that's in general, a lot of that is just like this um, the way that the world is now. It's like, here's a problem. You got fired. Here's something that happened. Let's do this to you. Here's your punishment. This is you know, and 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 that and that people are like, what's the reaction? What's the reaction? and and I, it is a time, I think, for people, yeah, to be trying to figure something out. To be, like, to let there be, just let all these stories come out and let us sit with all this stuff and talk about all this stuff and there doesn't, and they're not all the same, right? Everybody, you know, like, you know, what happened between us and, and you know, what Harvey Weinstein, like, it's not the same. And it's, and it's like. But,
0: but thanks for putting them in the same
1: space. <laughs> You're both men. Jamie. Um, and, um, but I think that being able to, yeah, let there be a space for people to to talk and to 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 have this all come out is really is really important. And yeah, and it is good to be reminded. Yeah, you know, like how, yeah, I feel you know lucky to know men who are not like that at all.
0: And it it, it should go on for a while. And what's interesting to me, and and in terms of my little topic, is it is mostly happening so far in the world of men who are publicly acclaimed. And, and and there's a, a, a is there, and I, I'm, I'm just trying to parse it out in my brain, is there a sense of more entitlement than just being a billionaire? If you're a billionaire who gets to make people stars like Harvey Weinstein, or who is a star like Louis, is there a sense of, of like, what else can I can I get in the world?
1: Right. Like there's so much, yeah, it's valued so much that it's, it's yeah, that I think that it does empower and it, it gives us this certain sense of entitlement and power because it's people see it all around them. as like, wow, this is this thing though. So I'm sure like the thing I always think about is like, Oh my God, who are the hotel maids and the, you know, just like dealing with this shit constantly by, and I'm sure that, you know, Harvey Weinstein would have done that to a hotel maid as well, you know, but also just like some, You know, some random guy would also, you know, and and it's just it's a lot of it is, yeah, about about power. But 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 I think that what you're saying, too, is that with this idea of fame and stardom and it's like, holy shit, I can have everything I can have every single thing that I want to do, I can do. And for a long time, you know, they really I mean, it's it's mind blowing that that was able to go on as that these things have been able to go on
0: for as long as they have. And I guess we'll learn conversely kind of the, the degree to which it just hasn't started opening up in Exxon and DuPont and, and, and the regular corporate world and that it's gonna, and that's why Amber's right. We're not done. <laughs> yeah. There's the hotel maids there. are the the, 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 you know, administrative assistance at a big company there you know it's
1: everywhere I mean it's everywhere and 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 I do think that you know the yeah the reason that it comes out in these ways that have been coming out is because that's the stories that these are people we all know and and these are you know these stories have come out and caught fire because we know all these people because they are famous and and yeah, and how do these i mean hopefully and 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 that's why I do think that it's like, that's, it's not bad that it's just these famous people because hopefully that will make somebody who's the head of a large hotel, you know, chain or whatever, like have a serious talk with all the people who work for them and have people say like, this is, if this has been happening to you, you have to know that you can talk about it and, and that it will be an example for people to know that they can, that they can talk about it and that it won't be tolerated. But, but in these, you know, that's, I don't know. I'm 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 really optimistic that 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 can happen.
0: Yeah. And I hope that hmm media will continue will will cover it in in smaller less spectacular famous arenas. Yeah, I feel like the the fact that the coverage is going to come lately I think is empowering to more and more like, like, uh, Jenny Lumet today, you know, you know, if you're going to come out and say something about, about Russell Simmons, you know, you know, or Harvey Weinstein, you better hope someone's going to write about it or else. Holy crap. <laughs> right. Right.
1: I know my sister-in-law just texted me while we were talking. And is a uh, nine women accuse Israel Horowitz playwright and mentor of sexual misconduct. And it's somebody that she knows, you know, who was one of the accusers. Like I just got this text. I know. So yeah
0: yeah a uh, uh, last thing on these issues uh as someone who often you call yourself a a, a weirdo an oddity a, you know you you know not someone who i i think what's important in society to speak loudly about is the difference between being a predator and being the word pervert is misused a lot like
1: <laughs> agree Agreed.
0: damn it i'm a pervert but i don't you know, we're all perverts, but we don't all inflict that on other people.
1: I just wrote that in my novel. I wrote a line where she says, because it was something about San Francisco's like sex nerd culture, you know, and she was like, we get it. You're a pervert. Guess what? Everybody is. Some people just don't talk about it. It's more interesting Because what's interesting about people is, is what you don't know about what they want, you know? And, and I, I, that's so funny. I, I agree. I agree. I think that a lot of San Francisco sex nerd lifestylers will also agree that yeah,
0: it's just the rest of the world. I start thinking about yeah about famous people who I think people expect to get in trouble because they're kind of pervy, but that doesn't mean they 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 do things to other people that other people don't want done to them.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. That's about, yeah, that's why it's that's that's why also why it becomes so much more obvious that it's about power than it is about. You know, is that it's just like, oh, yeah, Louis could have found people who were who wanted to watch him do that. No problem. You know, no
0: problem. And we have to assume uh, I've heard too many people on the radio and TV, mostly men, but even women saying, well, it's not about gender. It's about power. And I I don't even necessarily. That might be factual, but it's it's kind of irrelevant because. We can we can argue about that after after women have the power for a couple millennia.
1: I know. Let's see what that looks like.
0: Yeah. Until then, the people who did the bad stuff have to go down, and and yeah, yeah, you go for it. And that, that I'm glad you say you're ready because I wanted to bring back one thing, and that is when you were talking about you know the punk rock thing and 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 ah, being able to enjoy or want success, and. I I, I I I think I look forward to seeing a little more of the uh, two two characters from from Yokohama, uh, three way of the the Steve Elliott and Poe Bronson and you come out. When this book comes out. <laughs> so funny. Steve is weird because he's punk rock too. Yeah, but he knows how to enjoy and milk it.
1: Oh yeah. I, I called I emailed him before I wrote that piece. I was like, listen, I have this thing that I want to call fucky Steve Elliot. I was like, it just you know, and he's like, Great, no problem.
0: He was fine with it. Um, yeah. Steve Steve's happy with anything branded. <laughs> uh and he's a friend and I and I love him, but he I, I I do try to think of him as an inspiration. Like if I get something that might be successful, just friggin' go with it. Boy, I wonder what he has to say about everything going on these days. <laughs> I wonder if he's writing anything. Speaking of like pervert and power and relinquishing power, and...
1: right in his wheelhouse.
0: Hmm. I mean, I'll drop him a line. He hemmed and hawed about coming on this show when it first started. Oh, really?
1: That's funny. I've heard you say that a few times. That people are like that. They're they're weird about the topic i think it's i mean it's a great topic and i don't know why anybody wouldn't want to talk to talk about it i think it's funny that some people assume like well i i'm i'm that would be me saying that i it's like no we're talking about this thing that affects all of the world it's not about you (laughs) like i don't know i don't think this is about me this is about us having a conversation about your uh your podcast topic you know
0: well i think it's hard when you hear that word not to think it's like a celebrity chat Hmm. That's
1: weird. That is like the last thing. I think that's. A, I think that's that's a marker of of a certain kind of person if they think that that's what it is. You know, because it's like I really like that. It, that doesn't occur to me at all.
0: It's like, oh yeah. Well, there are two kind of people who aren't comfortable. There are the people who have a certain amount of success but are like, oh, I don't. Yeah, I feel kind of gross about it, and I'm not big enough. <laughs> and then there are people who are just my friends and neighbors. You know, like porch light type stories, and. I've had a couple of them on, and I'm going to have some more. But a lot of them are like, well, I'll talk to you when I become famous. I'm like, well, that won't be the – that's not the point.
1: Yeah, I'm not a bartender. I'm a writer.
0: Yeah, that's me. That was me.
1: You know, it just feels like, ah, I don't know. I, I, I like that you're doing this. I think this is a good it's – a, it's a great – it's a great topic.
0: Thanks. I just kind of feel like it's the first – creative endeavor i've really committed to in a long time so I'm, I'm staying with it and i'm i learn things from it and i enjoy it all every piece of art i've ever made is just therapy for me oh my god i
1: love the therapist by the way
0: oh lois she's a san francisco person oh she is oh i'm so glad i'll tell her Yeah, tell her uh yeah we have to have another session soon <laughs> uh talking about the episodes with my the, our staff psychotherapist lois parkinson I'm gonna keep bugging you every time I'm down in the city and we're gonna later. Yeah, have coffee at, at some later. point
1: it is gonna work out. I know it. And I wanna get up there too. I wanna I've never been to visit all my peeps up there.
0: And there's certainly, you know, another reason to get the book published. This is a great place for for a book tour. Lots of colleges, lots of Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Anything that came to your mind this week that I haven't that we haven't talked about? Yeah, let me see if there's anything on my little list here. Let's see: bartending, pooping, novel, porch light, <laughs> Ron Hogan, Steve <laughs> Elliott. Yeah, I think I think we covered it all. Uh, me, Predator. Uh, um, thanks, Beth. I this this has been so great.
1: All right, Jamie. Great talking to you.
0: Bye. To find the work of the wonderful Beth Lissick, please go to BethLissick.com. That's B-E-T-H-L-I-S-I-C-K. To find the first part of our conversation, which is episode 52, because there was one that came in between 52 and 54, and any other episodes of this show, please go to 15minutesjamieberger.com. That's 1-5-M-I-N-U-T-E-S-J-A-M-I-E-B-E-R-G-E-R.com. Coming up soon, we have former Playboy editorial director, Chris Napolitano, and comedian and Conan writer, Laurie Kilmartin, and much, much more. Ed Patnode is the engineer. Our music is by Christian Kondari. This is 15 minutes. Okay, that was it. Thanks for listening. I hope you all are staying as well and sane as you possibly can. And I wish everyone the best in these really, really strange times and difficult times. All right. Now I'm hoping I don't have to edit this at all. I'm just going to slap it up there. Thank you, Psychurious and Anya Schutz for helping me get this done. Now back on the good mic. This is 15 Minutes. I'm Jamie Burger.